Hello and welcome to the Thriving Three Counties podcast with me, Dan Barker. Conversations with inspiring business people throughout the three counties of Herefordshire, Worcestershire and Gloucestershire. And now it's time for today's episode. I hope you enjoy the show. Okay, hello and welcome to the Thriving Three Counties podcast. I'm Dan Barker and today I'm in front of a live audience uh, at the Coach House Theatre in Malvern as part of the Malvern Festival of Innovation run by Adrian Burden. And I'm here with Adrian Burden. Uh, He's been on the podcast before. And for this episode, we're going to uh, turn the tables and Adrian's going to actually introduce me. So... Uh, thanks, Adrian. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, thanks, uh, Dan. And uh, it's great to turn the tables and actually interview you because we've, I think many of us have listened to the podcast. I know some people in the audience have uh, featured in the podcast. Yep. So we've obviously heard you quizzing them, finding about about their business and their background. And I thought it would be really nice to start the session this afternoon by actually finding out a little bit about you okay. as well. <laughs> uh, partly because, uh, as we'll hear, your background is not in podcasting. That's true. Um, but also <laughs> you took the leap to become an entrepreneur with your latest business venture. So um, so let's find out a little bit about that. So okay. first of all, um, <laughs> tell us a little bit about your original sort of training because it wasn't in anything to do with this. It was more to do with mechanical engineering and so forth. Yeah, so. yeah. So, I mean, at school I was kind of into physics and maths and that side of things. And then at university decided to mechanical engineering it seemed like the right thing to do i think with those those kind of interests um and from there i went into aerospace engineering when i came out of uni after having a bit of well a year off to work out what to do yeah. <laughs> um uh, and you know so engineering then what is it that appealed to you about it i think it was i think the, the sort of physics and applied math side of things just that's how my brain kind of works I guess like you know sort of see things in shapes and that sort of thing and and I can remember shapes and how things go together and that sort of thing so that seemed like the right the right kind of move and um, I think it still still does appeal to me that side of things but obviously moved into a slightly different area which we'll hear about and uh, you actually went off and used your degree in industry so Mm -hmm. you worked for some aviation companies yeah. Um, tell us a little bit about the kind of project work you're involved in that, because a lot of people don't really know what a mechanical engineer would actually go on and do. Yeah, so I mean, it's a it's a really broad ranging subject. I think that's the thing you can do so many different things with it. Uh, and I went into aerospace engineering, which um, was always an interest as a kid. I was into radio controlled planes and that sort of thing. That was like for, for years. That's all I did was make model airplanes and try and fly them and. Yeah try and fix them <laughs> as you do um so so yeah i as i said i came out of university i had a bit of a, a year off um and when i came back i grew up near cambridge and there's a company over there called marshall aerospace and um they do a lot of um servicing military aircraft and that sort of thing as well as modifications and uh, and that sort of thing as well um and they were advertising for some graduates yeah. so I thought, okay, aerospace engineering sounds good. Um, didn't know loads about what I was going in for, but they they put on a six-week training course mm. as they were trying to get get more people in. Um, and the deal was that if you passed the course, there was some exams and a bit of coursework, yeah. um, then you got a job. 
with them. So I thought, okay, that, that seems like a good thing to do. So um, went and did that. And what it what it was was um, it was stress engineering. So mm. kind of analysing uh, aircraft parts for strength, basically. Yeah. So all all theory based, really, um, and and. A lot of kind of hand calculations I, I was involved with them because we were working on um, a lot of Hercules, you know, mm -hmm. the C-130s. That was kind of their, their bread and butter work was servicing the C-130s. So they'd come in, they'd have a have a problem, and I was in the repairs group for a lot of the mm -hmm. time. So um, the guys would put in a, a, a chit or whatever, you know, to say... This is this is the damage, and we have to come up with a repair. The designers would come up with the repair in conjunction with with the stress engineers, and we'd have to analyse it for strength and make sure that you know as the as the wing bends or the fuselage expands, that all the the stresses are going to be carried through yep. the repair and not just crack and break. So mm. um, that's kind of the area I was involved with. And quite sort of safety critical. Then I mean, there presumably mm. in a in a job like that, there are lots of procedures you have to follow. You can't kind of have a bad day. <laughs> no. So. no, you can't just wing it. Um, <laughs> sorry, and, um, <laughs> but yeah, there are, and um, and there are also um, uh, safety factors that you have yeah. to adhere to and everything. So you do your calculations based on the worst case scenario. So you'd have um, loads that were published by the manufacturer, yeah, original manufacturer of the aircraft, and you had to make sure that those loads could be taken through that component so you'd know what load was going through it and then you'd have to calculate how that went through for example if it was a a patch riveted onto the side of the fuselage then you'd have to work out the loads coming in and how they go up through the rivets and then into the patch and back yep. down again and presumably that kind of thing i mean it's not taught in that way at university the, yeah. the you know the proper applications of it so you know, is there a lot of on-the-job training, even as a graduate, to get that bit right? And, and you start to, start to specialise quite a lot there. Yeah, there was. And uh, I think for me that was probably a slightly weird thing about university in that, you know, you do the modules and everything and you pass the exams. But coming out of it, it was kind of... I didn't I didn't know that I had the real... But by that point, didn't really have, like, the real experience to sort of apply it necessarily. So it felt like you were... Yeah, doing a lot of training, and then it was kind of like, oh yeah, I remember we we learnt that <laughs> in the first yeah. year at uni, and that's what they were going on about, and that's why it matters. And uh, mm. yeah, yeah, because I think you know what you study at university, and then when it's applied in the real world, can often be quite different, can't it? And mm, I think that's one of definitely. the challenges. I think we even covered that maybe in our podcast a little yeah. bit about <laughs> the relevance of university in training and on the job. Um, so from there, you actually went to Airbus, a well-known engineering aerospace mm -hmm. company <laughs> over in Bristol. Was that similar work or did you do something? Yeah, like it was similar, but I was doing, um, specialising a bit more then in fatigue and damage tolerance. So it's strength analysis, but it's um, to do with repetitive movement. So as the wings fly, as the aircraft is flying, for example, the wings going like that, even though no one likes to think it is. It is, <laughs> and you can see uh, it outside the window. Yeah, yeah, and gradually um, the the structure becomes weakened by that repetitive motion, and uh, and can start to crack. Yeah. So it's a bit like if you get a um, uh, a paperclip, and you you know you do that over and over, and it, it snaps. Yeah. So it was that, but you have to. Again, there are lots of you know tables published and data which helps you to work out. Okay, if we've got this much load going through the wing 
it can fly X number of flights before it's going to start to crack. And then after that, the possibly slightly more worrying thing for people is that you then look at it, the damage tolerance part of that is the cracks formed and it starts to grow and we calculate how many flights it can do before that crack becomes critical. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, planes fly around with cracks. It's just... They do, I'm afraid, yeah. small cracks. <laughs> uh, and, you know, were you using computers at that point to do modelling and so on? Is it actually quite sophisticated work? Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, yeah, it wasn't all, it wasn't all hand calcs no. at Marshalls, but <laughs> it's just the, the, the older um, stuff. But it was quite interesting going back to the original... Um, calculations from the aircraft then because some of them were you know 1960s or something and we had big folders of calculations which you had to go through and find the loads for those parts but yeah we were um and and were they commercial jets and things that you were working on or was it some of the military work uh, it was all military at marshall's and then actually when i went to airbus i was on the a400m so Mm. that was that was military as well yeah but um then when i moved up this way i went to what was Massia Doughty is now Saffron Landing Systems, mm-hmm. and that was uh, commercial. I was on A350 landing gear. Right. So that's what brought you into our neighbourhood, really? Is it into Ledbury? Uh, no, it was my wife, really. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I met her while I was living in Bristol, and at the time she had a clothes shop up here just down the road, uh, more than miles, actually. Yeah. And um, because she had the business, it made sense for me to move up this way, so... I commuted down to Bristol for a bit, but uh, okay. wasn't much fun. So, <laughs> so then, of course, you know, you've 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 changed job and changed role quite considerably. Um, you now do photography, which we'll get on to the, the kind of details of the photography and the work you do. Mm. But that's very different, obviously, from being an engineer, but also in a big company like Airbus and so on. Yeah. So, yeah. kind of talk us through a couple of things, really. One is why did you decide to leave that career? Mm-hmm. and do something on your own? And also, what are the big differences as a result <laughs> okay. of that? Uh, I think growing up, I'd always wanted to do something on my own. I'd always wanted to run my own business. I'm not quite sure why, but I think it was possibly my granddad. He just mentioned it a lot, and he was like, you want to be working for yourself and stuff. So he was a dentist. Um, so I think that probably influenced me, but I never really knew what I wanted to do. Um, I think doing the engineering work, I, I got into this niche, which was the stress engineering and then the fatigue and damage tolerance. And it was it's it's not really when you say aerospace engineering, it sounds quite sort of glamorous, doesn't it? Yeah. And you, <laughs> you know, but but the, the reality of it really is sitting behind a computer for you know eight to ten hours a day uh, in a big office and and not really speaking to many people or or seeing anything particularly Mm. so the reality of it was a bit different and I I think I never massively enjoyed it even though I still managed to do it for quite a long time Um, so I think I was always sort of looking that was kind of in the back of my mind um, was I wanted to do something but just didn't know what to do and it was through my wife's shop actually um, that I first picked up a camera and um, we had a website built for the shop and I decided I'd do the product photography, right. even though I didn't have a camera or know how to do it at all. <laughs> but right. something must have appealed to me, I guess, uh, in the background. And um, bought a camera. Um, we had a photographer friend. She came and helped us sort of do the product f- photography. So it was yeah. all like dresses and tops and yeah. things or mannequins. Um, 
And I thought, oh, I, I quite enjoy this. Um, we ended up having to close the shop down um, a few months later because it was, well, various reasons, but it was kind of not in a great state financially. And um, we had a young baby at the time. It kind of needed my wife's time. I couldn't. Yeah. I wasn't that good at selling dresses, it turned out. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, yeah, just after that, um, I picked up my first paying client. Um, it was actually the wine shop in, in Ledbury, Hay yep. Wines. Yep. Uh, we were in there, uh, you know, buying some wine, as you do. And um, she said she was having a website built and needed to do the product photography. Mm. And she didn't know where to start. So I sort of volunteered to go in and have a crack at it. Ended up getting getting shots that were good enough um, for what they needed at the time and, and uh, charged them a little bit. You know, I wasn't charging a lot yeah. at that time, as you do on the first... Yep. Uh, your first gig and I thought wow I got paid for something and, and I enjoyed doing it which was um, yeah, a bit mm. of a, a new and, thing and not a long commute either so <laughs> not a long commute yeah, yeah. <laughs> no. and of course Jane Salt who runs Hay Wine is, yeah. has also been featured on the podcast yes that's she right she has an yeah. interesting story as well she does yeah um, so so obviously you, you took the leap and at the time um, well I remember certainly meeting you at the Malvern Hills Business Forum or the Small oh, Business yeah. Forum it changed its name over that time um, where you actually came and said you were doing this. I think you just maybe decided to take the leap and were, if I remember rightly, kind of hustling and doing sort of both jobs at once for a mm. while. So yeah, yeah. is that? would you recommend that's the way to do it when you want to start off something? Uh, I think if I was a lot younger, then I might have not done it that way. But right. as it was, um, I mean, after we closed the shop down, I went back to engineering because uh, there was a lot of debt left over from the shop and we wanted to pay it all off. We wanted to pay the suppliers and the banks and the VAT man and everything that had gone a bit awry. Um, so we, we rented a small place in Ledbury and uh, kind of got to work doing that really. So hmm. I definitely had to do that. That was a, you know, a financial thing that needed to be done. Uh, also, you know, we had a young baby at the time and everything, so I had you know, people to support. So I couldn't just kind of jump in. I also had a lot, a lot to learn, I guess, in those early days about photography and then, um, and then more luckily running a business, mm. I suppose. Um, so yeah, it was the right way for me to do it. Cause I, I could do it on the side of the day job yeah. for a while, you know, kind of evenings, weekends, Friday afternoons, cause in, in engineering, they often don't work Friday afternoons. So I had that time. Um, and then, yeah, it kind of got to the point where I felt like I could go part-time with the job. And, um, yeah, the, I, I was contracting, but they actually let me go down to three days a week, which was um, okay. super kind. Mm. Um, and helpful, yeah. That's it was, yeah. It was quite it was quite mad, really, because I went in to ask the, the manager there, the boss, and, and say, like, look, I'd like to go down to three days a week. And he said, why do you want to do that? And I just told him, like, you know, I want to... I'm doing this photography and I want to build it and I want to do that. And I think because I was just completely straight up with him, yeah. he he just, well, it was quite funny, he kind of launched into this whole thing about how the stuff he would have loved to have done and I oh, think okay. he wanted to have a music shop because he was a trombonist and he wished he'd have done that and had a bit of a sort of heart to heart with this guy who was like normally pretty sort of, um, uh, what's the word? Well, he... he his background was in sort of uh, shipyards in the north of England, so that's yeah. how he used to run yeah. run the business. Yeah, classic engineer. So, yeah. Um, 
Yeah, that, no, that's interesting because you often hear of people that wish they'd started a business or you hear, you know, people saying, you know, one day I'm going to do my own thing. Mm. So, uh, I mean, what advice do you then give to people that say that? Do you tell them, go for it, or, or is it a bit more measured than that? Uh, yeah, I think you've got to, first of all, you've got to find something that you want to do. And I think that was my challenge. And, you know, even when I'd had the small amount of paid work, I, d I wasn't quite sure if that was the right thing to do for a while. And uh, I read a book called Screw Work, Let's Play by John Williams. And that was quite a, uh, it was a good book. And yeah. there was various exercises and things in there that he recommended. And I, I did all that. And he recommended having some like playtime in the week where you just sort of stop and mm -hmm. just do something that you enjoy doing. So I, you know, had a bit of, did a bit of 3D printing and designing and, bit of photography and stuff like that just to see what I wanted to do yeah and uh, my wife very kindly supported me doing that right, <laughs> as well um which was nice and yeah so I think that's probably the first the first hurdle for people often is working out what you want to do and yeah. but there are ways that you can do that and then yeah I think doing it on the side of something is probably a good route for most people because you know yeah. you, you've got to pay the bills and yeah more it of takes a gentle routine yeah. yeah, it takes the pressure off, doesn't mm. it, then? For sure, yeah. Uh, but, I mean, as you said, you weren't, you didn't, you know, photography isn't something you were trained in or mm. you kind of discovered that this was a passion. So have you done some formal training to make that work or are you just a natural photographer <laughs> talent? That, that well, I don't know if I'm a natural, but I'm self-taught. So yeah. I haven't like, gone and done a degree or anything like that in photography. Um, I've done lots of kind of, you know, online courses and things yeah. like that. And, you know, I've got a, an online mentor in photography. Um, and I've been to a couple of sort of in-person things as well hmm. um, back in the day. But basically, yeah, basically all self-taught. So. Yeah, yeah. And really interesting that you found like some online courses or mentoring that can help you within your own time and so on. So you don't actually have to go into a formal course. Mm. Um, mm. There's lots of other resource. And so... You've kind of ended up being, I think you refer to it yourself, as a kind of a niche photographer in the sense that you, fo you photograph products and particularly maybe engineering products mm -hmm. and, and so on. <laughs> so, uh, which, of course, is a natural fit, I think, given your background in engineering. Um, but, I mean, I've heard how that kind of helps. Do you want to just explain how you can kind of talk the same language when, you, when you're doing this with people? Yeah, yeah. So I think probably two or three years ago, um, one of my mentors was is very keen on the idea of having a niche, and I I, I didn't want to because my first reaction was a lot like a lot of people. Well, I'm really limiting my my audience and my target market and everything. And I was kind of like, oh, okay, okay, all right, I'll give it a go. And uh, I think I started doing something else for a couple of months and realised it wasn't quite right, and then. It was through LinkedIn, I actually put up a post uh, on LinkedIn asking people what struggles they'd had when booking uh, photographers. Mm -hmm. And someone randomly replied to me saying, oh, we've had problems when it's been like an engineering application because the photographer hasn't quite got the product. And as a result, the photos haven't really done it justice. They just haven't got the quite the right thing. And I thought, OK, that's interesting. That is, <laughs> I could, yeah. uh, And he very kindly... Um, had a had a chat with me on the phone. I'm actually doing a shoot with him tomorrow, funnily enough. Wow. Uh, this was about three three years ago, I guess, maybe a bit longer, three or four years ago. Um 
so yeah, I decided to go around down the kind of industrial photography hmm. route. Uh, I wish I'd have done it a bit earlier, really, before leaving my job, because I was still a bit of a generalist right. when I left my job, because the power of it has been amazing, really. Like being able to say, you know, I shoot, I do photography for these types of businesses just means that you suddenly you get introduced to people running those types of businesses rather than people thinking, oh, who do I know who needs photography? Because yeah. that's pretty much no one at any given point. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. to then be put in contact with people that are running technical businesses and that sort of thing, you then build that relationship. And um, So has that been the, the sort of the most powerful bit of marketing, the word of mouth and the, the, fact, the referrals and so on, do you think? And also the fact that people you're much more targeted when people are looking for you. Mm. Those sort of things yeah. work. Yeah, definitely. I think the referral thing, because I think people like to refer a specialist as well, mm. don't they? You know, if you have, if someone's looking for someone to do X and someone can go, oh, I know someone and they just deal in this. Yeah. That's a really nice thing to refer to someone, isn't it? Oops. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, the referrals, but then yeah, when people actually find you and they're, they're from an industrial type company, uh, they look at your website and they go, okay, that's exactly what I need. You, yeah. you, you do what I need. Um, it's much, it's much better than if if I had a bit of everything on there. So there was some weddings, some portraits, yeah. some, you know, some fashion, a bit of this, a bit of that, some food and everything. If someone from a uh, a manufacturer was to come to that website, you know, it's not. They might yeah. like your work, but it's just not so obvious, is it? I guess. No, and they probably wouldn't appreciate the other types of photography anyway. So mm. it wouldn't, wouldn't set a spark going. So what are the, some of the most interesting things you've had to photograph then? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> um, well, we, we also, we also I, I sort of brought in video to the business a few years ago and that's, that's grown massively um, to the point where we've now got Tom um, working full time in the business on the video side of things. Yeah. Um, the reason I say that is because one of the fun shoots we had about this time last year was um, for a company based in Gloucester Airport who do um, LiDAR scanning. Uh-huh, yeah. And, um, yeah, we made a video for them. Actually, actually we were doing photography as well. Um, but that involved having to go up in the helicopter with the doors right. off and cool. um, and shoot shoot the other aircraft as we were flying around. Yeah. So that was and pretty good fun. Did you just <laughs> check there were no cracks on the airframe before you <laughs> I should have done. I was too excited. I just jumped in. <laughs> yeah, that's great. And uh, so you were actually filming and photog uh, from the air. You were actually doing yeah. stuff up, up in the air. And was that a yeah. challenge as well? Because that must be different. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was kind of easier than I, I thought it might be in a way, uh, in that I, I thought there'd be all sorts of, you know, vibration issues and things like that, but uh, it wasn't too bad, actually. So yeah, <laughs> that was all right. But yeah, we were filming on the ground because we, we put together a plan of, you know, how it was all going to run. And we had like a drone filming, filming them yeah. taxiing the aircraft and the helicopter and things. And then, uh, yeah, went up. But um, yeah, it was my first time in a helicopter and there was no doors on. And all they give right. you is basically like a car seatbelt. Yeah, that was it. It's like being on a roller coaster. <laughs> yeah. Wow, really good. Uh, so, and you mentioned, obviously, you've taken on a, a new member of staff, but is, is mm. the plan then to grow into, you know, a big company offering this service? How do you see it? Yeah, that's what, what I'd like to do is, is grow it a bit more, really. And um, I think there's, there's a lot of scope for it. It certainly feels that way at the moment. Um, yeah. You know, thing, things are going well. And, yeah, especially if I can find 
people that are interested in this kind of industrial and technical niche, which um, gradually finding those people uh, quite amazingly, because as you say, it's it's, it's two very different things. <laughs> and are most of your customers regional, or are you actually getting to you know go around the UK or even abroad? Do you think in the future? Uh, quite possibly, yeah. I mean, we're, we're fairly regional at the moment, but we're gradually sort of yeah. moving out. You know, we've got um, I had a shoot. I've had a shoot up in Bradford. We've got one in Margate coming up, and mm. the old inquiry from like Leicester and, yeah. and places. So we're, yeah, it's again spreading. through through the niche, th- those ones are because um, yeah, this company in Leicester they actually searched industrial right. photography or industrial video or something, and and we came up. And as you can imagine, you know, there's a bit of competition on Google mm. for that search term, but not a ton. And mm. and that's the other good thing about about having a niche is that you're suddenly not in competition with the other guys yeah. around you because they're generalists and or, or they're you know specialists in other areas so. yeah oh, really good really exciting and and yeah. then you've also of course started the podcast so you started yeah. that i think sort of january time uh, at least that's, that's right, when it yeah. started airing mm-hmm. uh what on earth made you decide to do that <laughs> <laughs> well i think uh podcasts have been part of my life I suppose for the last uh, I'd say probably six years or so Um, so when I was in my engineering job and wanting desperately to you know get my business to the point that I I could I could um, go full-time I was listening to a lot of podcasts so my commute every day I'd be listening to podcasts and in that way kind of virtually surrounding myself with people that were doing the things that I wanted to do Mm -hmm. so listening to all their stories and struggles and everything like that so I've always since then just really loved podcasts because you know they they just open you to Hmm. so much don't they um you know just there on your phone yeah um and I've I've always I think I've always had a a, a, an actual genuine interest in business to some extent as well and hearing about people's stories and Hmm. how they got into business and their struggles and all of that so it was kind of born from wanting to actually sit down and have those conversations with people. Like there's a couple of clients that I just thought, oh, I wish I could sit down with you and, <laughs> and chat yeah, yeah. for an hour about your career. That's interesting. Uh, but it kind of came out of the client interactions. That you yeah, start. yeah. And um, and yeah, I, I'm also, I'm in a, a kind of coaching and mentoring group in the States and they pretty much all have podcasts and they, they tend to be a couple of years ahead of us in terms of yep. that kind of thing. So I was quite influenced by that. And I just thought, right, okay, let's, um, let's give it a go. Mm. And uh, yeah, it's been great. So it's the Thriving Three Counties podcast. Mm. So that's covering Worcestershire, Herefordshire and Gloucestershire. That's probably. right. Yeah, yeah. Um, is the plan to stay with that focus? Do you think there's a, enough of a fertile ground to <laughs> keep it going? Or are you going to have to expand to five counties? <laughs> gradually increase the counties like the uh, three nations yeah um, <laughs> um yeah i don't know it's a good question at the moment it's uh, it's been amazing really like you know when i started it i kind of thought is anyone really gonna want to come on and then as i started asking a couple of people they were like yeah mm-hmm. we definitely and uh, it hasn't been a struggle to get people on at all so um yeah but that you know, the three counties thing came from that understanding of how useful it is to have a niche. Yeah. And in this case, the niche being the geographic area. So, um, 
Well, you've, you've got an impressive yeah. list of people that you've spoken to now. Mm. Um, so anybody that hasn't must go and have a look. <laughs> Can you remember the uh, the website, the best link for them to go to? Uh, yeah, I'll send them to my website, if that's all right, yeah, which course. is uh, danparkerstudios.com forward slash podcast. Yeah. Um, but it is on, I think, pretty much all the players. Um, so, you know, Spotify and Apple and Google yeah. and blah, blah, blah. So you can find it pretty much anywhere. And presumably you kind of self-taught how to do all that. I mean, not just the sitting and talking, but actually the editing and then distributing it out through the podcast network. Yeah, so I knew uh, I knew a couple of people with podcasts from the main, mostly from that group. So I was able to ask them a few questions, um, and then realised that actually it's not as complicated as it as it sounded um, to start with. So I use a hosting platform called Captivate, mm -hmm. and um, they host all the episodes, and then they also push it out. Once you've set everything up, they push it out to all the players and everything. So, uh, and then they've also got a uh, plug in for WordPress so you can embed it easily into your website because um, yeah. I can do a bit on websites but mostly make a big mess so that's pretty handy. And and is the plan, do you, I mean, is it something you can monetize and is it something that could become a business as well or do you, what do you see it as, just something of an interest? Yeah, um, it's a good question. Um, it potentially could. I mean, as you know, we, we ran a few ads for the festival mm. Uh, yeah. on the podcast it's been interesting looking at the statistics and seeing that actually people have clicked on the link and yeah. everything so potentially there's um an opportunity to maybe run ads for local companies or something yeah. or you know maybe i should start by advertising my own company on there yeah, a bit more <laughs> <laughs> see how that goes <laughs> um but i think the you know the benefit for me is that a, a, I enjoy doing it and, have, as I say, having those conversations, meeting people. Uh, it's grown my network yeah. um, really well because people have introduced me to, to new people like yourself. Um, so that, that's been great. Um, so, yeah, uh, but maybe I'll yeah, get more intentional about monetizing it one day. Yeah, and I <laughs> guess it's a balance between running the photography business and, and the podcast business. If you're not careful, you've got too much to do. But yeah, exactly. So I've, I, the way I've structured it is that Friday is my podcasting day. Okay. And I just keep pretty much everything to that day. Hmm. So that's quite interesting because that's almost going back to your play day that you were talking about <laughs> earlier. <laughs> yeah. You do that on a Friday. Yeah, it is yeah. a bit. You're right. Yeah. yeah. But um, it just means that otherwise I knew that I'd I'd get in, you know, I'd be booking yeah. guests a bit on a Tuesday and occasionally on a Thursday and it just ends up taking too much Must time. Be your engineering discipline. That's coming Maybe. in there. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's brilliant. Well, um, we're out of time, believe it yeah. or not, already. But thank you ever so much uh, for sharing those insights and stories. And, um, you know, good luck in the future with keeping both the podcast going. It's really good to hear all these local and regional entrepreneurs and business people speaking. Um, oh, and you. also with the photography business. So yeah, thank thanks. You very much. Well, uh, thanks for uh, inviting me to come and do this. Because, um, yeah, it was great. And uh, thanks for having me on my show. <laughs> Thanks for letting me <laughs> <laughs>